Good morning. If you have a Bible, Revelations 2, 18 through 29 is where we're at today. Revelations 2, 18 through 29. We're in this series called Seven. We're looking at the seven churches in Revelation 2 and 3. And today we're looking at the church Thyatira. And this is idea, dear Thyatira, resist the enemy. Thanks for being here this morning. Those who are joining us online and those in traditions. Maybe you have heard it said in the past, oh, by the way, if you need a Bible, slip a hand up, we've got ushers coming. But maybe you've heard it said in the past, love the sinner, but hate the sin. Suggesting that one can uh, love a person, one can give value to a person and dislike or disagree or hate the behavior of that person. Today, many will say, if you hate the sin, then you also have to hate the sinner because they're one and the same. Because if you say you hate something that somebody does or choices that they make or their behavior, you cannot turn around and say that you value or love the person because that is who they are. Believers who try and love and value the person and hate the sin are considered judgmental. A believer uses the word of God as a standard and takes every decision in every situation and holds it up next to the character of God to determine whether it is right or wrong. And so when we take a behavior or a situation and we say, okay, God, what is your character? And we hold it up next to him. And, and if it matches the character of God, then we resolve that it's right. If it doesn't match the character of God, then we can say that it is wrong. The world is working from many different standards of determining what is right and what is wrong. No wonder we live in a day and age with this idea of new tolerance. We're not even using the same measuring stick. The new tolerance mindset, if you hate one, then you hate both. If you hate the person, you hate the sin. If you hate the sin, you hate the person, is based on the current period for a given society and culture. The result? There's never anything wrong. Or if there is, it's only wrong for you. Why am I telling you about tolerance, traditional tolerance, or what some call the new tolerance? Because that was the struggle for the church of Thyatira. The pressure is on to think like the world wants us to think. How long will it be before, before the church will not be able to have so-called standards. How long will the church be able to say something is wrong without being accused of tearing down a person or, or tearing down an entire group of people? How long until the church gives up a biblical standard and accepts a cultural standard? Some already have. Number one, keep the faith. Verse 18 and 19 says this, it starts like this. Angel's the messenger, right? It says, to the angel of the church in Thyatira, write this. Let me tell you about Thyatira first. Unlike the other cities that we've looked at over the past few weeks, Thyatira was not a thriving city. It was not a, proper, a prosperous seaport. Rather, it was a center for manufacturing and marketing. So it was different than the other places that we've looked at. Nearly everyone in the city was part of what you would call dozens of trade or, or craft guilds, meaning uh, these groupings of people. Uh, these various groups were in fact the main focus for, for business and social life. It was, it, it was kind of all, uh, that's what they were, that's what they were known for. And the downside to being involved was that each group was dedicated to a different God. So imagine being a part of one of these groups 
It's what the city is made up of, but they were dedicated to different gods and often their meetings included a meal in the honor of that God. The meat from the meal always came from a sacrifice that was made to that particular God. Beyond the meal, drunkenness and inappropriate sexual acts were not uncommon because the condition of the church, it could be called the corrupted church. The longest message of all seven churches was sent to the smallest city. Trust me, I've read through these letters many times. The shorter the letter, the better. The Christian, now I want us to place ourselves there. The Christian living in Thyatira was up in arms as to what are we supposed to do? What does a Christian do when the standard for living and people's actions have been determined to be acceptable by the majority, at least accepted to the degree that no one was willing to stand up and say, hey, you know what guys, what we're doing is wrong. There was a major push for tolerance in Thyatira. And now the Christians were confronted with it and had to decide. The culture was putting pressure on the church. The lines were becoming blurred. Do I accept their standard for living and join them? And by doing so, say what they're doing is okay? Do I not join them because it's wrong for me and it's wrong for them? Do I not join them because it's wrong for me and and according to their standard, it's also wrong for all people of all time? Christians have always been confronted with the push for tolerance since God created Adam and Eve. Believers have had to choose some standard by which they will live their lives by. Every person has to decide that. You have decided that, whether you know it or not. The answer to the question of tolerance is right here in the Bible. It is the word of God. We read and study the word of God to know him. We read and study the word of God to know his character, to know his standards. How is it that he's asking us to live as believers and followers of Christ? And when we don't know for sure what God's word says, it's in our human nature to rely upon what feels right or what feels wrong. And friends, our feelings are influenced by whatever we are allowing to be our primary influencer. Sometimes we'll say to our kids, you know, I've gotten to know that kid in the neighborhood and I just, I really don't want you spending a lot of time with them. And so we say that for our, to our kids because we don't want somebody to be the primary influence in their life. That's kind of what's happening. Many are tolerating evilness because they say that God's word is not clear or that it's irrelevant and culturally adaptable. Some will say that not everything in the word of God can be applied today. Many are in the habit of taking the word of God and in a sense taking a pair of scissors and then reading the word of God and saying, yeah, I don't like that. And we cut it out. And we find the things we like, but every time we come across something that doesn't match the way that we're currently living or the way that we currently think, we take a pair of scissors, so to speak, and we cut it out. And before we know it, we have our own word of God that works for us, works for me. Where has it left us believers 
There are churches, there are entire denominations. The Southern Baptist Church, you can go read about it. United Methodist Church, they're splitting wide open. who say to their people only certain parts of the Bible can be used for living today. They only talk about and preach the parts of the Bible that they'd like, the parts that that align with how they feel, the parts that won't cause any waves. I don't know for sure what God's word says about sexual relationships. This is what many are saying about premarital open marriages, about drunkenness, about alternative lifestyles, about abortion, about hard work or abuse or gossip or judgment or thoughts or purity, then I am much more apt to tolerate those things if I don't know what the word of God says about them. If I don't know my own standard of living, then my mind and heart are like wet cement and they're being formed every single day by the primary influencer. Verse 18 says this, these are the words of the son of God whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. So remember in each of the churches, there's a title that's given to Jesus. To the church of Thyatira, Jesus is introduced as the one who has eyes like blazing fire. We'll see in just a a few moments in a later verse that Jesus can search the heart and the mind of every man, woman, and child. Nothing can be kept from him. There are no secrets with God. So Jesus was being described as, as one with eyes of blazing fire, brings to light the severity and the warning and the judgment for this particular church, for the Christian living in Thyatira. These eyes can be summed up in two words, penetrating insight. Jesus can see all. That his eyes are like the flame of fire signifying his piercing, penetrating, perfect knowledge, a thorough insight into a person and all of the things about them. And then it says, like blazing fire in his feet, like burnished bronze. His feet like, like fine brass, an emblem of his stability and, and permanence, brass being considered the most durable of all metallic substances or compounds. He was described as steady, he was described as pure and as holy as he judges with perfect wisdom, so he acts with perfect strength and steadiness. Verse 19, I know your deeds, so now he goes into the church, your love and your faith and your service and your perseverance and that you are now doing more than you did at first. So these, these are the good things that he's saying about the church as he does with every church. This church, friends, listen, to, they loved others. They had faith in God. Uh, they served Jesus. And on top of all that, they were, they were patient in trials. You're like, well, what in the world could be wrong with them? And if that wasn't good enough, Jesus says to them, you have grown in areas, man, you are, you are growing like crazy than you were when you first started. You remember the church of Ephesus, the first one? Had lost her first love, yet had stood strong against the false teaching and the pressure of immorality and the mindsets of tolerance, but they had lost their first love. Thyatira, on the other hand, had kept its love, yet, had become tolerant. Verse 20 through 23, secondly, don't tolerate. It says this, nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel. 
who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. That woman Jezebel. Jesus was addressing the church. He was accusing the church of allowing a false woman prophetess to remain in the church and continue to teach the people to indulge in sexual immorality and to eat food that had been sacrificed to idols. So in comes this lady into the church claiming to be a prophetess and because of her claims, she was apparently uh, quickly elevated to a high position because she had this unusual giftedness. While only a few actually discerned her phoniness who could see through her, so to speak, the majority of the people in the church either followed her teaching or tolerated her teaching by leaving her alone and by not causing any waves. This woman is labeled Jezebel. You might remember in the Old Testament, the, the wife of Israel's King Ahab in the Old Testament, uh, Jezebel, who had gotten the, uh, the people to worship Baal. But also through Ahab spread her teachings of idolatry throughout the entire camp. That was the Old Testament. And so now this lady in Thyatira is given the same label, Jezebel most likely could be identified with a group that would come on the scene just a little bit later in time, the Gnostics. Her teaching matched when she would tell the people that if they were in fact indwelled by the Holy Spirit, listen to this, this is crazy. If you are indwelled with the Holy Spirit, meaning if you're a believer and a follower of Christ, you need not worry about morality and therefore they could participate in pagan rites because the pagan gods did not really exist. Verse 21, I've given her time to repent of her immorality, but she's unwilling. The verdict by Christ was not because of her teaching or because of her personal involvement in sexual immorality and idol worship. That wasn't the verdict. Her verdict was because she was unwilling to repent. While God hates sin, cannot stand it, he always desires repentance and restoration. If God were to judge you, were to judge me on our sins today, by the time we go to bed, tomorrow morning we could not stand. God is a God filled with mercy and grace and forgiveness. God absolutely does love the sinner yet he hates the sin. But because of his unfailing love for the sinner, he offers opportunity of repentance. Jezebel refused and the judgment was upon her. I praise God as you should for his grace and forgiveness. The scripture says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we confess our sin, if we agree with God about our sin and we turn from it and we repent from it, he will forgive us. Verse 22, so I will cast her on a bed of suffering and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of their ways. 
So most likely Jesus was referring to the bed or the couch that was familiar to those who participated in the idol feasts and the sexual immorality. So, so he's saying, hey, that very couch, that very bed in which you have sinned many times, that is where you will suffer. Most likely from a terrible sickness. Verse 23, I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. So most likely Jesus is not referring to her physical children, but maybe her spiritual children, those who have followed her in her false teaching and who have participated in her extracurricular activities. And at the completion of the judgment, all the churches will know, he says. What will they know? They will know full well God's omniscience. He is the one who searches the heart. He is the one who can search the mind. Thirdly, stand strong, verse 24 and 25 says this. He says, now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you except to hold on to what you have until I come. So Jezebel, Jezzy, I like to call her for short, had been teaching the secrets of Satan. They were secret insights that would guarantee to promote deeper spiritual life. She may have disguised her insights to be deeper knowledge of God, but Jesus said these insights were really teachings of Satan. What can we learn from some of this? There's great danger when we try and accommodate and integrate non-biblical ideas into our faith. In Thyatira, Christians were being led astray, believing that what happened in the body, so they could do whatever they wanted with the body, because remember, they're indwelled with the Holy Spirit, they could do whatever they wanted with the body, is inconsequential. Therefore, it was not a sin. That gave room for those who believe the lies to act upon their fleshly desires, believing that they were not sinning. You could have an affair and there was nothing wrong with it. You could have all the premarital sex that you wanted, no need to be convicted. There was a major disconnect between truth and lifestyle. These secret things Jesse taught were music to some of their ears permission giving, you might say. Last Wednesday was our Awana Carnival and Awards Night. Why is Awana so important? Because children are memorizing the word of God and putting it in their heart. The more we know God's word, the easier it is to recognize any teaching or influence that doesn't align. A good thing for us to do would be to look at what we are reading or listening to and, and make sure that it aligns with the word of God. Sometimes knowledge, so-called insight, is subtle. And it tickles our ears or it's music to our ears. And so we entertain it because it sounds and it feels good. Fourth, do his will, verse 26 through 29, he says this. To the one who is victorious, this is the hope. He always gives hope at the end. To the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. 
That one will rule them with an iron scepter and will dash them to pieces like pottery. Just as I have received authority from my father, I will also give that one the morning star. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the spirit says to the churches. So he concludes with this, I will give them authority over the nations. So the promise is made to believers, to you, if you're a believer, to me. During the last days, Christ will return for his bride, the church. All people who have a personal relationship with him, after the rapture, this snatching away of the church, after the rapture, there will be a period of seven years known as the tribulation followed by the millennial kingdom. If you listen closely, you just caught my eschatology. There are many options, but that's, that's the one I lean towards. At the end of the tribulation, Christ will return to rule the earth during those thousand years, physically. Believers, get this, in case you didn't know this, believers will also return to rule or to help shepherd those who remain during those days. So we also will come back. That is the promise that's made here. I will also give him the morning star meaning the presence of Christ. So this is the one who overcomes. It suggests that we will be so closely identified with Christ, the promise of Christ's return is like a bright morning star. It's like the beauty of a sunrise after a long, dark night. Verse 29, listen to what I am saying. The people of Thyatira were tolerant toward the pattern of the world. They not only accepted it, but they participated in it. A woman made her way into the church and before long, she had this following. People found themselves accepting even the most gross sins of the day. And the only way tolerance can be rejected is through truth. Where there is no truth, there is no standard from truth and there will always be tolerance. What about us? Am I? Are you holding strong and fast to the standard of truth, God's word, and by doing so, refusing to tolerate the patterns of this world? I wanna close by telling you about a movie that I went to see yesterday. And before I tell you about this movie, I want to suggest to you that if you are considering to go see this movie, that you read about this movie before you go see the movie. The movie is called Nefarious. In this movie, the entire movie basically takes place in a jail cell. Um, you could think of C.S. Lewis, Wormwood, that, that kind of thinking. Edward in the movie, is a demon-possessed man on death row. There's a psychiatrist that has to interview Edward and sometimes even the demon to determine whether Edward was sane or insane. So the burden was on the psychiatrist. And if he concluded that Edward was sane, then he would receive the death penalty. If he concluded that he was insane, then he would be given life in prison, 
but would live. The psychiatrist said, well, if you are so powerful and you are so plentiful and there's so many of you, demons, then why haven't you inhabited all of the people who are non-believers? Caveat, believer, if you're a believer in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit in you, you cannot be possessed by a demon. You need to hang on to that. But he asked a legitimate question. Now the psychiatrist is not a believer, he's just saying, hey, if you're so powerful and all this power you claim to have and all these things that you seem to influence and all these things that you say you can do, why haven't you inhabited all of the non-believers? You're losing. To which Edward and the demon said, are we? Look around. 30 million people are in sex trafficking. Are we losing? Pornography is running rampant. Drugs, addiction, family turmoil, alternative lifestyles, media, entertainment. Are we losing? The one thing I wanna leave you with is Psalm 139, 23 and 24, it says this. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. Father, um, It makes it easier in some ways to read a letter that you have written to a church. But in many ways it's written to us. Lord, maybe um, this morning you are revealing in our minds and our hearts of ways that we, even believers in this room, have maybe our, man, a light bulb just went off and said, man, have I allowed the culture to be my influencer? Am I doing or saying or believing things that are contrary to your word and your character? Would you show us? Would you remind us? Would you reveal those things in us? that we can repent and turn from those things. Thank you, Lord, for your grace and mercy and forgiveness. Thank you for yet another chance. But don't let us leave this room. Walking out of here, even as a believer saying, yeah, the culture's bad. Man, there's a lot of bad things out there. Without us, looking into our own lives and taking note of areas that you are pointing out in us, in our families. 
In Jesus' name, amen.